Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We are down two of our regular pastors today. We do have Pastor Jonathan Van Hoogen in the room. Glad to be here with you, Josh. And I am Josh Bales from the World Church. You're from... Dayspring Reformed Church, yes. Right, that's right. And then we have Pastor Matt Masevich. How you doing? From Sovereign Grace. You're not offended when I like try to do my announcer voice with that, right? No, hey, not okay. at all. Let's it makes get it sound ready profound. to rumble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've been on the air with us before. So yeah. uh, you are, where are you at? I'm in the room with you. No, <laughs> <laughs> no we're from um, Namp, Idaho. And... Um, yeah, Sovereign Grace Fellowship. We're a congregation of particular Baptists, and uh, happy to be here with my brothers. Now, the great thing is, is you're confessionally reformed, just like us. You're just on the other side of the water. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. you guys hold to the, the London Baptist 1689 Confession. Yep. Which is a variation of the Westminster Confession yep. of Faith. Yep. An improvement. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we don't allow, that will probably be edited out, but uh, even if it isn't, it's just a reminder that uh, some things come first. <laughs> Question though, so maybe, maybe we can um, before we get into our topic today. Why did you guys move towards a confession? Why is, I mean, why is that important? Well, it's important because it's basically guardrails to keep us in um, the mainstream of um, orthodoxy, and the history of my church dates back a hundred years, and we started off pretty much as a Pentecostal church, kind of moved into a dispensational church, kind of in the mold of J. Vernon McGee. And then we kind of moved into the Reformed uh, world. And um, I've been a 1689 confessional Christian for, gosh, 15, 20 years almost. And, um, you know, and most of the elders, actually all the elders held to that position. So we just formalized it and said, this is our identity. This is who we are. And we're going to plant our flag in, in this historic um, confessional mainstream of Christian Protestantism. Yeah. And it's good, as he points out, the confessions are guardrails because they, they'll prevent us from mistakes in any direction yeah. there. And, you know, this is, you know, what we're doing is we're testifying with the church, the church and, That's right. and, the, and what is, you know, the, the doctrines that have been given to us uh, yeah. through the ages. Um, you know, problem, I think, with modern evangelicalism is it, it wants to plant its flag and say, come believe anything with us, yeah. or come believe nothing with us. Yeah. Which is a confession in and of itself. Everyone has a confession, yeah. whether or not it's written down and codified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. Any propositional statement we would make from the pulpit is a confessional statement. Well, I, I just, I'm so thankful because what, it, you know, hopefully God willing, like for all of our churches, since it's, you know, well, this is the, the this is the DNA of the church. It helps the church remain faithful going into the future. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of legacy building even. That's right. That's, that's not to say that a confessional church can't fall away, but it's to say that the next pastor should be hired that's in line with this confession. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
as opposed to just whatever his personality and whim is. And if he goes off the rails there, then the other elders should rush the pulpit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's exactly what should happen. And not only does it keep us in line. Now, have you with, been tackled before? Not yet, but, <laughs> but we do have a couple people in the church that said, you know, we have we have things yeah, we prepared have, if that was to happen. Yeah, we, to which I said, I didn't even think about that until you brought it up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one of my dear elders passed away uh, this last year, but I was giving an opening illustration. He says, I was getting nervous because it, it was very Oprah Winfrey-ish, you know, and um, he, he, said, he says, I was just about ready to get up and stand and say something, but it was uh, it was setting up. Uh, something that I would say later, <laughs> but, but that's what should happen. Yeah. You know, when when we when we mishandle God's word, we should be dealt with as uh, individuals by uh, other under shepherds. That's right in our congregation. Yep. Well, I think we've stalled long enough. <laughs> so we started a series yesterday called The Gospel and Sex, and yesterday we kind of laid some of the important foundational work that uh, sex was created by God. It's not an invention of the devil. He made it for his glory. And then there are other uh, human purposes for sex, for uh, companionship or unification, uh, for for pleasure. God is the inventor of pleasure, for procreation. And then for, for purity. Um, post-fall, uh, God uses sex between husband and wife to help their purity. So today, we're going to go right into the fall and talk about how the fall has affected sex. So mm -hmm. where are you guys on now? How has the fall affected sex? I think the fall has affected all of humanity. I think that we were created in the image of God. And in the fall, that image has been marred. It's still there, but it's it's marred. Um, it, it permeates every aspect of our, our very being, which is why we can't, in any sense, earn salvation because we're, we're fallen and dead in trespasses and sins, according to you know, Ephesians chapter 2. So it, it's going to affect our relationships. It's going to affect our activities. Um, sexual uh, sin is spoken of so often throughout the whole Bible because it's such a problem, which results from the fall. Well, one of the things that, you know, uh, that happened in creation, God made us holy and happy. And uh, Adam and Eve accepted the lie of the devil and therefore they've robbed themselves of that happiness and by obe obeying sinful pleasures um, or sinful desires I should say and and all, and all the desires of the human heart you know have become distorted and fallen uh, just like the sin of our first parents mm -hmm. yep so yesterday we said so God created sex for his glory, marriage for his glory. One of the most fundamental things that immediately happened. So Ad, uh, Satan lied to Adam and Eve, you can become like God. Mm -hmm. And so we that's how we treat sex too. Like, mm -hmm. um, well, now sex is meant to serve me, that I can use it for my own selfish pleasures, that I can um, separate it from God's glory and for the good of my neighbor. Um, so I can turn it inward, right? Right. And, and this is what's happened with when sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve, um, our desires from that point on can't be trusted. 
um, because uh, sin has affected each one of us. Uh, we we refer, refer to it theologically as uh, total depravity. Not that we're the, as bad as we could be, um, but but it has permeated um, our nature in such a way that uh, our we have the natural a tendency to be led away by our various passions and and so the sin is the proclivity of our heart you know that's the direction we're leaning in yeah. and so this is the this is the problem with uh, you know when we think about desire we you know it's n- desires are not pure in and of themselves yeah yep all right so let's uh talk about some of the common lives uh lies that people believe regarding their sexual sin. So I'll just give you guys one at a time, and then how would you perhaps answer these lies? So here's the first lie. So my pornography use, my mental uh, fantasizing, is not hurting anyone. It, it's hurting you. It, it, actually, not only does it hurt you, but it, it hurts the people around you, and it, it builds into a whole sort of sex trade and industry that is destructive. First Samuel, kind of bouncing off of um, what you said earlier about going after things, um, it says in First Samuel, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You've done all this evil, evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver for they are empty. The problem with pornography is it promises a lot and it delivers nothing except for guilt and shame and destruction and there's no profit in it whatsoever unless of course you're the pornographer and you're getting money but other than that there's no profit well and even even for those people they're doing it to the damnation of their own souls exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and um it's it's a temporary fix that ultimately uh over promises and under delivers yeah Jonathan, would you like to add to that? My porn. So here's the lie: my porn use, mental fantasizing, is not hurting anybody. Well, because it's sin, it hurts. It hurts everyone in the long run, and and even more so, uh, it you misunderstand the consequences of of sin. Sin always dulls our way, our our mind to the things of the Lord. It it results in apostasy. It could result in permanently falling away from God. It it leaves us with real guilt and shame, as you were saying, Matt. Um, we sit, we were talking about shame the other other day. You know, we said, you know, Mark Twain said, uh, "Only man, man is the only one that bl- the only animal that needs to blush, or something to that effect, um, because it is sin." You know, uh, this is the this is the problem. It um, it re- reinforces self centeredness. Uh, it it creates a susceptibility to sexual diseases. I mean, right now we're dealing with uh, something called monkeypox, and we know where it was. We know where it was started. We know where it, uh, the yeah. people that are most affected by it. Yeah. But we want to deny that that's the problem. Yeah, I, I would just, yeah, and maybe that's a really good example. There's tragic stories I could share uh, from. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you guys are the same way from, from our own church. I, I've been meeting with a man um, who's in jail right now mm-hmm. uh, for horrific sexual sins, and it started with pornography. Mm-hmm. Small sins, if they are not repented of and taken care of, they will not remain small sins. 
uh, the, the, the child molester doesn't start off one day saying, you know, I'm going to be a child molester. It starts off with pornography and, and sins of mental fantasizing. Um, and I, I would just say wait, maybe one more thing on this particular thing. The person who says my porn use, my mental fantasizing isn't hurting anybody. It's hurting God in the sense that you were meant to, to use sex for his glory and you've turned it inwardly, like you said, Jonathan, to selfishness. Uh, uh, porn use is a worship disorder. Right. That's right. That's right. Just like alcohol we, abuse is a worship disorder. Yeah, Just like can, greed yeah, is a worship t- disorder. We could talk about the sins that we commit when we look at porn. For instance, you know, you, you commit the sin of idolatry. This is you're talking about a worship problem. You know, an attempt to find satisfaction in something else besides God Himself, and this is the very thing that God forbids. Yeah. Um, so th- this is you know you're trusting and obeying and serving that more than your serving God. You've made that uh, preeminent rather yeah. than Christ in your life. Yeah. And so, so the, you know, on the, on the one level, um, you know, we can say this is a sin that you commit when you look at porn. There's multiple sins that take place when we look at porn. Yeah, we even go, privately. And we can go, we can go, I mean, we can go further. This is the sin of adultery. Yep. Uh, this, you know, the this is the most obvious sin that we commit when we when we look at pornography and that. And Jesus even said, "You should not commit adultery." I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, yeah. you know, it's it's not just a it's this is it's not victimless, and particularly you're the first victim in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we will continue this uh, conversation tomorrow, but don't forget about our Reformation Boise Conference coming up October 21st and 22nd. Dr. Joel Beakey, Dr. Derek Thomas, O Church Arise is the theme. If you go to ReformationBoise.com, you can register for free. We would love to see you there. This has been The Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.